Hey, Mark. Um, what's going on, man? I just, I don't know. I've just been kind of watching this video I found. It's like a pirated video. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I've been, you've been missing for two weeks. Uh, the show hasn't come out for two weeks. I've been worried about you. And uh, here I find you in this dimly lit room and you're watching. Uh, you said this was a pirated video? Why... Why is there a guy with a parrot on his shoulder? Yeah, it's it's just a video. It's it's a pirate pirated video. Mm. Uh, what's he gonna do with that peg leg? I don't know. It's just it's kind of it's like a mixture of like this weird like violence and like sex kind of thing. I don't know. I've just been watching it. It's just that's fascinating. Mm, yeah, I can barely see it. <coughs> Ooh, when it's all smoky in here. When did when did you start? <coughs> when did you start smoking? Oh, <coughs> I don't know. I just something I've kind of gotten into is I've been watching this pirated pirate video. Oh wow! You think you could um, look, let me open a window and uh, could you put that out and maybe we can yeah, sure. talk about yeah, let this? Me just yeah, I'll put it out. Just let me uh, unbutton my shirt here. And, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, put hey, it hey, hey. Uh, I, there's an ashtray right over here. I can just get that for you. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm just going to put it out here on my nipple. No. Why did you watch it, Max? Business reasons. Sure. What about the other reasons? Max Ren is a victim. I woke up with a headache. He has been exposed to Videodrome. I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since... What? Since I first saw Videodrome. His brain is already receiving video images. I think that massive doses of Videodrome signal will ultimately produce and control hallucination to the point that it will change human reality. Soon, his visions will coalesce and become uncontrollable flesh. Videodrome is seducing Max Wren. Please, come to me now. Come to Nikki. And Max Wren can do nothing to stop it. What makes you think I need help? None of our test subjects has returned to normality. Television can change your mind. Videodrome will change your body. Long live the new flesh. It will shatter your reality. Videodrome. Videodrome. Starring Deborah Harry and James Woods. A shocking new vision from the creator of Scanners. Coming soon to a theater near you from Universal Pictures. All right, so judging from that trailer that you have just heard, we are going to be covering Videodrome from 1983 on this episode of the Midnight Mass Creature Cast. Um, this was a listener, not list, yeah, a listener, a listener request. Um, he goes by Cannibal Crunch. Uh, we have been kind of Instagram buddies for quite a while. Um, his love for uh, all things Blondie and Debbie Harry is equal to mine. So um, when he mentioned uh, that we should do this, I was very happy to do that for him. Um, 
I, of course, am Mark, and I'm joined by the ever awesome. I'm Rob. Uh, so, Rob, when did you first see Videodrome? Uh, I thought I had seen it before, but I watched it last night and a little bit today. So, yeah, that's <laughs> half and half. Um, and I realized that I had never seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I and you and I talked about this kind of last week off air. Um, I had seen bits and pieces of it, but I kind of steered clear of it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was wondering about that because I was yeah. expecting like a full frontal topless Debbie Harry, but that's, we didn't get any of that. Like, f- at least from no, what we, I watched. Yeah. We got like, kind of like a side kind of thing and yeah, and like, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, um, I, yes, I too, uh, watched the full, uh, video drone last night. Um, so I, I, this is my first all the way through video drum experience was last night as well. And, uh, um, did it change, did it change your view on, uh, Miss Debbie Harry? No, cause I would not acknowledge that it was happening and I did not look at that part. Um, <laughs> okay. Walt even pointed it out and I said, no, I'm looking at this side of the screen. Oh, okay. Um, I gotcha. Yeah. Well, especially because in that one part that we're talking about, there was something else going on that was way too distracting to even notice that she didn't have her top on. Um, and we'll get to that scene, but okay. yeah, I was, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was having a conniption fit for a whole other different reason. Like, no, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, now this is, uh, directed by David Cronenberg, um, who I, now are you a Cronenberg fan? I didn't realize that I was, but apparently I am because I love Humanoids from the Deep. I love The Fly. I love Scanners. Um, so many other Cronenberg movies that I didn't even know that were Cronenberg films. Now, I'm with you on everything, but Humanoids from the Deep, what did he have to do with that one? Wasn't uh, wasn't that a Cronenberg film? or that was, I, Not as far as I know. Let me go look because oh, I don't want to. Jesus. There I go, messing things up again. Um, I don't believe. Who, wait, who was responsible for Humanoids then? So that was directed by, well, Barbara Peters and then Jimmy T, Jimmy T, sorry, Jimmy T. Jimmy T, uh, Murakami came in and did the pickup shots where she wouldn't do like the things he added that in. Um, so who and then took, I think uh, James Cam, James Cameron did a little bit of the extra work on there. All right. Um, so, but what yeah. about, see, I'm thinking of, um, you know. Are you talking the, about Rick Baker? No, not Rick Baker. I'm thinking the guy when we talked about humanoids from the deep and like all the rape scenes and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. uh, There was something that a certain director and I thought it was Cronenberg. Um, I'm pretty sure. No. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I'm I'm completely off base then. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I like I I pretty like I don't want to look at I'm looking through here. I don't see anything by. Because he he would have been in Canada, because he's Canadian. Um, I don't see him connected to this one at all. But I do I do also love humanoids from the deep. Maybe he was a humanoid from the deep, and he was uncredited. Maybe I'm just uh... <laughs> no. I'm being silly on that one. He was also not a humanoid from the deep. I don't want to put that out. There. Oh, this <laughs> fact. No, I'm being silly. Um, no, I don't believe he had anything to do with this one. That's weird. Like, why? Why would I think that? I don't know. Oh, I do like brain. your. I do like your 
your reality though, where James Cameron did have something to do with humanoids. I mean, not James. I keep sticking James Cameron in there. Uh, where uh, um, <laughs> David Cronenberg had something to do with humanoids. Yeah, but he, he did. He did do Scanners, and he did do The Fly. Actually, this one drops right in between those two because Scanners was eighty one, The Fly was eighty six, and he did this in eighty three. Ooh, um, okay. Yeah. Now he like. As oh, far as, wait, like, wait, wait. Roger Corman is who I'm thinking. Oh yeah, Roger Corman produced it. Yes, yeah, yes, it's a Corman right. film. So the uh, Corman and Cronenberg, the you know. Oh, I see. Gotcha. I, I see where you're going. Yeah. I see, you're going. see, that's where um, I got the mix up. Okay, we figured that out. Gotcha. They're both cool gentlemen in, in my book. Yeah. Um. Now he also did like Shivers, and he did Rabid uh, with Marilyn Chambers. Uh, he did The Brood, which I love with Oliver Reed. Um, he also did crash, which <laughs> when I went to that one with a friend of mine <laughs> after it was over, he turned to me, he said, I will never, ever let you pick a movie for us to see again. Um, and then he did existence and just most recently he did crimes of the future. So like, those are my recommends for like Cronenberg films. Okay. You know, so is existence, is that pronounced existence? Uh, yeah. Uh, is you that the do it weird that one yeah. that I'm thinking uh-huh. of? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, Patricia Arquette. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you see that one? I did. See, I love that one. And that one's hard to find like on like, I don't think it's gotten a Blu-ray release or anything. Um, so you can kind of find the DVDs, but they're harder to find. But I would I would love if that one got a decent release. That's another um, of those weird movies where you don't know what's real and what like what's actually going on. Yeah, which I those don't bother me. I kind of like that where they kind of play with reality like that. I like them too. I just don't like being confused too much. Oh, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Oh, I can boy. see where you would say that. I can see where that would, for, for uh, movie, movie watchers out there, that would be a little uh, disheartening through a film. Yeah. Um, and then just real quick, um, I think I have to sneeze. So I'm going to pause for just a second. You could talk amongst yourselves if you want to, but give me one second. I'm trying to listen to you sneeze. <laughs> Okay, I'm back. I muted. I muted myself. Um, so the special makeup effects were done by Rick Baker, who we all know and love. Rick Baker. I don't want to keep mentioning the same films that he's done. So he worked on Ghost Story from '81. He worked on the really trippy Altered States. Um, he also did uh, Tim Burton's Ed Wood from '94, and then the American. The Ring from 2002. He did special effects for those. Now, there were visual special effects as well, and those fell onto Michael Lenick. It's L-E-N-N-I-C-K to produce. He would later work with uh, David Cronenberg again for The Dead Zone, which was based on a Stephen King novel in 83. And then Mr. Lenick would do four episodes of the Friday the 13th TV series in 87. Um, but I want to give shout outs to those two gentlemen because this is very effects laden uh, film uh, and very well done, I think. Yeah, you wouldn't think that. Um, OK, so. For the first half of the film, um, you know, we're kind of just like it's in this sci fi realm, almost like um, this weird clockwork orangey kind of thing. Yes. Um, and then I was like, hmm, I don't know if this fits our criteria for like uh creatures, you know, because it's it's like where where are the creatures? But then as we got deeper into the film, I realized that it's like the creatures are kind of implied where it's like reality is subjective 
to the individual and kind of the the television is the new reality and it's like this this new um this new evolution of humankind or, or whatever the hell it is is kind of taking over and so it's more implied that it's like okay what what is this being behind the scenes that is causing all of this and wanting to take control and do these are these people just puppets and so it was like okay i i kind of i think i know what's going on here well it's almost mankind is becoming the creature it's yeah. like evolving you know and yes it's like a forced forced uh evolution mm-hmm. and and almost a way to rid humanity of undesirable human traits and weakness yeah yes yes um and then i i'm only going to talk about our kind of two main thespians we have uh james woods um and he's like a a programmer for a very small like little cable station um and he's uh max wren now mr woods he was in cat's eye uh with drew barrymore uh from 85 uh vampires which we covered from 98 um i also i don't know if you've ever seen the virgin suicides i recommend that film uh, he was in the second scary movie from 2001, which is a very odd entry into that franchise. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Mm, um, no, I don't think I've seen oh, the first one even. Interesting. Are you serious? <gasps> With yeah, Anna um, Ferris. Oh. Oh, wait, wait. The the funny movie. Okay, yes. Yeah. I did. I was like, so, wait a minute. I'm thinking of like a a movie called Scary Movie from the 80s, but it's not from the 80s. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And the Scary Movie 2 is the one with Tori Spelling in it. And Anna okay. Ferris as well. Yeah. Um, it's it's when the Wayan brothers took took over the directorial um, uh, duties. And then he was in the remake of Straw Dogs in 2011. It's not as good as the first one, but it's still worth a watch. And then his like instantaneous love interest uh, is played by Debbie Harry, the front uh, front woman for the band Blondie. And her character is Nikki Brand. And she's basically like a like a radio host, uh, you uh, like a self-help kind of radio talk show host. Um, now. For Blondie fans or Debbie Harry fans, you know, wanting to get your cinematic fix of, of of the actress um there's union city uh from 1980 um she was in roadie where she actually the band was in the movie roadie with meatloaf uh from also from 80 um i know you're not big on animated films i love animated films she lent her voice for a movie called rock and rule which is amazing i love the movie that was from 83 she uh, was in an Alec Baldwin movie, which I, my head almost exploded because I got Debbie Harry and Alec Baldwin. Uh, it was Forever Lulu um, in 86. There's a weird movie called Satisfaction, which was supposed to be like a vehicle for Justine Bateman from Family Ties to move on from like the TV to like segue into movies. So she's like the lead actress, but it also stars like in like supporting roles. uh, uh Julia Roberts and Liam Neeson and Debbie Harry. It's very odd. Uh, but then she would be in John Walters' Hairspray. And then did you ever see the Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, Rob? I did, yes. Okay, yeah, she was in that one. And then she did Body Bags. It was a uh, John Carpenter, Toby Hooper oh, collaboration. And I, did, I did see Body Bags as well. Yeah, so if you want your uh, Debbie Harry, not so much the singer, but the actress, those are some movies I recommend you check out. 
those are the only two, uh, like I said, actors I'm going to get into as far as like their background in the film, because they really are the two main characters we deal with. Yeah. Aside from uh, the guy who plays Harlan, who, who's like the pirate video guy, um, because we see him a lot, but we don't see him as much as like James Woods and Debbie Harry. Yeah. He's like a secondary character. Correct. Yep. Correct. All right. So are you ready to get into the heart of things? Oh, I'm so ready. Okay. <laughs> My body is um, ready. Yeah. <laughs> so as I said earlier, uh, Max Wren, James Woods character, he's like a programmer for a, like a, like a little teeny tiny cable network. Um, and he's trying to like get his viewer base up by finding more and more extreme uh, programs, shows that he can put on his channel to get viewership to rise. Um, yeah. This is uh, So I find the whole movie very interesting because this is 83, looking at it from like 2023. Um, oh boy. Because yeah. like now, this kind of stuff is so easily accessible everywhere. And not um, only that, but it's like, in the 80s, you would think that this would have caused an uprising, but whereas now it would be, um, people are not desensitized to it, it would be, it would still cause an uprising. I think it would cause more of an uprising now than it did in 1983. Um, if that makes sense. I do get, I do see where you're coming from, but I also realize that like children, can see this type. Of, so what he, what he's found is he's found this, like, uh, like, um, this, uh, I'm using little air quotes, this like pirated radio station where it's basically like what, what people would deem torture porn. Oh yeah. Like snuff movies and stuff like right, that. Right. Exactly. Um, I see what you're saying. Yes. But also it's so readily available just like through the internet now. Yeah. Like, I mean, kids can find this in like, you know, a snap of a finger, you know. Uh, right. That, that just, uh, I want to go off track for a moment. That reminds me of uh, back in 2013, the, going around Facebook was like uh, videos of Mexican cartels cutting people's heads off. And I found that extremely disturbing. And after, you know, witnessing one of those, I don't know if it was real or fake, but I just, uh, I got off Facebook at that time. I never wanted to see anything like that ever again. Right. So that, and that's kind of what I'm saying. It, it's when this movie was made, getting a hold of imagery like that was so much more difficult. Whereas nowadays, it's so much easier. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, back then, he was like really trying to play into those people who would want to see things like this, but it wasn't readily available. Yeah, because like yeah. you know, if you remember, like when he was seeing that Asian guy, um, and they were showing him this video of like some softcore Asian pornography, <laughs> and, uh, uh, samurai dreams. Yes, yes, and the the woman had uh, fitted. I, I thought it was a I thought it was a roll of bread at first. <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't was, a roll of bread. No, it was a wooden dildo. Yes. And it was wearing, it was wearing like a kimono, I guess. Yes. And I was like, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty clever. <laughs> right. Uh, Cause well, he's, he's trying to like up the ante. He's trying to yeah. get those viewers like to, 
see things that they had never seen before. Like, but he said it was, show. yeah, he said it was too soft. He's, he said, uh, it just not going to fly. He needs something more abrasive than that. Right. Exactly. Well, he's showing it to us. Okay. So we're kind of jumping around. So what he's, you know, he's, he's, um, he's got like his two, like, uh, I guess the two people he answers to is two like board members of the, the place where he works. He's got to kind of run things past them and they're, and they're agreeing with him. It's like, it's a little too, uh, it's not even tacky enough. They want something even more extreme than this. Yeah. Um, which kind of sends him on this, like this spiral to, to locate something even more extreme. Um, and he believes that the one video he's tracked down with the help of Harlan, um, it's like, he's like a, uh, like a technician, um, and they believe the, the signals are coming from Malaysia and it's like a pirated, they're scrambled, but, they, but uh, Harlan's able to unscramble them just enough for him to get these little glimpses of this. Like, um, it's almost like a, uh, uh, like a, where they would, uh, help me out, Rob, uh, meat, uh, meat packing places where they would like hose the meat down and everything. So the floor and everything is all very wet and they oh, have like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where they would like chain the people up or chain the animals up, but they're chaining people up. And then the one wall is like red clay and they're speculating that the wall is actually electrocuted. So the people that like touch the wall will be shocked. And there's these two men that are covered up and they're just like torturing uh, the people that they bring into the facility. And mm-hmm. this is all being taped for, you know, people to look at. Um, and then we're kind of jumped to this TV show. Um, it's the Rena King show. And it's basically like a, like a back in the eighties, there were TV talk shows were really big and they would just have like, kind of like semi-controversial guests and talk about like, you know, hot button topics. And this one, they're actually talking about like, you know, uh, media's play and, uh, the rise of like violence and in, uh, society and things like that. And so she's got three guests on. She has Max Wren. And then this is where we first meet um, Nikki Brand, you know, the Debbie Harry character. And she's a talk show host, uh, a radio talk show host, Nikki is. And then this television set is wheeled in and it's <laughs> Professor Oblivion. Um, he's basically like a talking head on the t- on the TV screen. Yeah. And I kept thinking of like Futurama with the, the head in the the head in the uh, the jar, you know. Right. And but it's the whole thing's very jarring because the host of the play of the the show, Rena King's trying to have this conversation, you know, with like Max. It's like, you know, are, are is your channel like one of the contributors to all these, you know, horrible things going on in society? And then he's basically just on air flirting with Nikki. Like it, it's almost like he's at a bar. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But Nikki's like reciprocal in this. It's very (laughs) odd. Um, It's, you know, because like Nikki's like, I'm always in a constant state of like, you know, uh, of stimulation and stuff. I'm like, you're on national TV, like talking like that. You're not, uh, I don't know, like you're you're from an audience and you're talking like this. It's very weird. (laughs) It's, Uh, I wonder if that was done intentionally to, um, to kind of show a mirror to the face of these talk shows, like from the eighties, you know how it was. Well, I also think looking at it as an audience, not knowing the full scale of what's going on, 
as opposed to once you find out what is going on, I think some of these things that are a little odd make more sense. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Because I think with the knowledge that we gain as the film progresses, you because he would have already seen the video. Max. Oh, yeah. So does that make sense? Right. Because that. Um, okay. So what you're saying is that's one of the things that had me confused, actually. But I think I kind of figured it out. So what you're saying is like before he got on that talk show, he saw the video. And so yes. he's uh, he's actually hallucinating the rest of the things that are going on. Yes. Okay. Because I mean, this is okay. This is we've got to do spoilers. We always do spoilers. But so what I'm thinking is because this will happen way down the line. But we find out one of the characters he's interacting with is actually deceased. Um, yeah, more than one actually is. Um, oh, that's true. But yes, but the one character he's not really interacting with the talk show host is more interacting with that character. Okay. At that yeah. Point. Yep. But the other character he's interacting with is deceased. He just does not realize that. Mm -hmm. Are you with me? I'm with you. Okay. It's confusing, but yeah, I'm with you. So I think technically what you're doing is it's almost like he's an unreliable uh, narrator. Um, and then, so you have to almost realize that from that second that he's watched that, He's already been infected. Right. And so you, the viewer is kind of taken on a journey where they don't know whether what they're seeing is actually happening or if it's just like another, another kind of red herring thrown their way. So basically what you are as, to me, what you are as an audience member is what Mr. Wren is as a character, mm -hmm. you, you don't realize what's going on. Just like he does not realize what's going on. You're seeing it basically as he's seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. He like uh, Cronenberg has put you in the space, in the headspace of the main uh, protagonist. Yeah. It's almost like we're inside the body of the main character. Exactly. Right, 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 right. You're being fed things as he would be being fed things. Mm -hmm. I feel. Okay. All right. Um, but anyway, so it made for a really weird just <laughs> talk show host or a talk show host or talk show experience. Sorry. Um, and then the Professor Oblivion keeps talking about the TV screen is the retina of the mind's eye. Um, that society has become so uh, wrapped up in television that there is no longer reality, per se. It's just what they view through the screen becomes their reality. Yeah, and I, I've heard that a lot throughout the years too. Like that sort of uh that sort of line of thinking where if it doesn't happen on camera, then did it really happen? You know, that kind of thing. Or or, or the flip, if you see it on TV, that automatically makes it real. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's very this film is very interesting. The fact that I think that it happened in it was made in 83, but the things it touches on is still so very prevalent to this day really i think even more so now yeah yeah i think it's very cronenberg is a very interesting director i, I think that's very uh a very um telling on his part i think very interesting um so now we uh 
are privy to the knowledge that uh, Harlan and Max have discovered that it's actually coming from Pittsburgh, it, that the uh, Malaysia thing was just a plant. The delay was not originally from Malaysia. It's actually being filmed out of Pittsburgh. Yeah, the signal got bounced around by a satellite or something like that. Yeah, it was just like a, it was like a, like, oh, like you said, a red herring. It really did not come from Malaysia. The whole thing was just from Pittsburgh. And that was a way to like uh, cover their, the people making it like cover their butts, basically. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> so we we discover that that uh, Nikki works out of a radio station whose call letters are C-R-A-M or CRAM, which <laughs> I thought was really funny. Um <laughs> And she's got this um, really distressed female listener caller on the line. And she's really uh, hyping up that she just called the uh, Nikki Brand Emotional Rescue uh, hotline to help her out because her her show is a Nikki Brand Emotional Rescue show, Um, which I just found very interesting because she seems so callous to me. She really didn't seem that worried about the woman's problems. She seemed kind of disconnected from everything I thought. And not only that, but she's like not. She doesn't strike me as a qualified uh, psychiatric physician. Psychi- that I can't say the word. <laughs> psychiatric. Yeah. There we go. Um, because yeah. she's saying you're clearly experience. You're clearly uh, going insane or something like that. And I'm like, that you don't tell somebody that. No, on the air. Yeah, she seemed very aloof. I thought mm-hmm. I found the whole thing very interesting. She yeah. seemed very aloof. Um, and the well, okay, so. From what we'll later find out, it makes more sense. But just watching it, I'm like, this is another one of those like Hollywood things where people like hit it off super fast because, you know, Max is already like at her show. And the next thing you know, they're back at his apartment. Yeah. And <clears throat> and she's going to watch porn like immediately. Right. Like, she's, she's, she like, brings let's it watch up. some porn. <laughs> <laughs> she's the one who brings it up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then she uh, d- finds, the, of course, the Videodrome tape. And uh, he's kind of not wanting to really watch it. But she's like, oh, no, I'd love to watch Videodrome. Let's watch that. Um, and then it gets weirder because she just like out of the blue, she's like, you want to cut me? And she's got these cuts on her neck, uh, like her shoulder by her neck. Yeah, very, um, uh, very masochistic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then she like as they're watching the show, she's like verbally wondering how she could become a contestant on this show. Um I do relationships move like this quickly. I was just I was just sitting there thinking, this is a lot to take in on like a first like I don't even think there was dinner or anything. Like I didn't get the impression they like maybe had, you know, like like it was like I picked you up and now we're at my apartment watching porn and you're like putting that like you want to cut me on the table yeah (laughs) I think I really think he kind of just picked her up and from the radio station they went straight to his apartment and you know it all went down like that yeah so then suddenly they're both nude which I will say this I don't want to see Mr. Woods naked, but kudos to him for being nude too, because more often than not in, in these kinds of films, you get all the women naked, but God forbid a man even like takes off his shoes. <laughs> and it was done in an artsy <clears throat> kind of way where the lighting effect just, uh, you could, it just showed like, um, you know, partial body outlines. Oh yeah. Um, it was very tasteful. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't like, it did not feel to me gratuitous. In any way, I did not think. Yeah, absolutely. 
it was uh it was done in a very artsy kind of way so they're laying there they're kind of spooning uh and then he proceeds to pull out this giant ass needle which i was like holy shit i don't i don't even want to know what's going to happen <laughs> what was the cork for uh, i think so technically so what he did with the needle is he pierced nikki's ears the cork is usually you put that in there so the needle doesn't work its way out so the ear can stay in the piercing process. But he pulled it out and did the other ear. So I really don't know what the cork was for. Yeah, I, I was know. I was trying to figure that out. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. But then he put the needle in his mouth. So there was that whole taking in of her blood. So yeah. I just put in big letters. I may pass out because I can't deal <laughs> with that. Pass out. And then he and he also sucked your earlobes, which would have been bleeding. So you got that whole like, yeah, I don't know. But then, okay, so they're on the floor of his apartment, but then they're no longer on the floor of his apartment. They're on the floor of the same setting that the videos that they were watching had taken place. Yeah, that was the the metal grates for like the drainage and then the, the red clay wall was behind them. Yeah, it, it, it was just very odd. It's it very odd. And then so we just kind of, that scene fades away and now we're at the office and Max is uh, talking to uh, Masha, who is, I guess, like a film producer herself. And she's trying to show him this like, um, <clears throat> like a, like a Greek themed, like very soft for like porn film, something you'd see on Cinemax mm-hmm. <laughs> back in the day. Um, and he's really not having any of that whatsoever. He's more fixated on Videodrome. Really quick, since you brought up Roger Corman. In the back, there's a movie poster for Up From the Depths, which is a really bad Roger Corman creature feature. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but I'm moving on. I just want to point that out. <laughs> so he's really hyping up that, like, the next big thing is going to be torture and murder mm-hmm. things. That That's what he wants. And he's really wanting Masha to try to track down where this Videodrome came from. Yeah, and I love how uh, she calls it subterranean, where it's basically, it's underground, you know? <laughs> uh, right, uh-huh, yeah, it's underground. Um, so then we have Max and Nikki back at his apartment again, because apparently they just bonded. Uh, and she mentions that she gets to go on assignment with her job to Pittsburgh, and that she's going to go audition while she's there for uh, Videodrome. And Max is not having any of this. He does not want her to do this, but uh, she's just not going to have any of this. And she really wants to do this. And this is where we get the cigarette scene. Yeah. (laughs) And I was just, I was not ready for that. I was so unprepared. Now, did you, okay. So there's, there's a lot of these scenes and this, I think is why I kind of thought that maybe I had seen this movie before. Um, This was another like scene that I had seen many places. Um, Did you not know about the scene at all? completely oblivious to it oh okay okay yeah so basically she's got the cigarette and she puts it out like on her breast which is just and i wondered if she actually did that or if she made the motion Mm -hmm. to and he's like no 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 don't do that don't do that and like she pretended and like because when he's holding the cigarette it's like he's still smoking the cigarette and i'm like yeah, but she just burnt her flesh with that. Her flesh is on that cigarette and you're smoking yeah, it now. Right. Well, they show you the close-up of her 
breast with the burn mark on it. Really? I didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah. No, they show you that. <clears throat> so anyway, so she's going to do this. He can't stop her. She's clearly into self pain. Mm-hmm. Um, she's fine with that. Um, it's almost like she's testing his limits, not hers. Right. Because he's, he's just, he strikes me as the type of person who's not really into this stuff. He's just like looking for it so he can sell it to the, excuse me, sell it to the network and make money off of it. Um, but I don't he, think he's really, really, he, I don't think he gets off on that kind of stuff. I, I think he's more drawn. Yeah, I think he's drawn to it because it's so unusual, but I don't really know if that's his thing per se. Or yeah, or maybe he doesn't even realize it yet, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so the uh, he's meeting again with Masha in that restaurant, and she's kind of tracked it down, um, but she's really stressing that he needs to leave this alone. It's not for public consumption. It's, it's like a political thing. It's, it's dangerous. It's for real. It's like snuff TV. Um, but Max is like poo pooing all this. He thinks she's just trying to scare him off. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, it's like, it's got a philosophy. It's, it's dangerous. And then she brings up the name professor Brian oblivion, which as we mentioned before, he was the kind of quirky guy who was on the talk show, but he wasn't there in person. He was just there via a TV feed yeah live via satellite yeah but he's the contact name if you really want to pursue this um so we get that scene that's like he's max is outside and he's kind of like in this horde of like basically homeless people like and he's scuffling along with them and they go inside of the uh cathode ray mission (laughs) yeah that was pretty great now do you do you know what that is a cathode ray yeah that's in the in okay. the old two the, the old tube let me see if i can say this right the old television tubes that the vacuum tubes from the tvs yes yes i did not know this because walt started chuckling i'm like that must mean something and he told me the same thing you did oh his you dad didn't- was you didn't know I that? I had no clue. No clue. No. Like, you no remember clue. they used to call CRT televisions and, and it was just like CRT stood for cathode ray uh, television, cathode ray tubes. I don't doubt you. I hand to hand to Godzilla. Don't doubt you. I've never heard anything called a CRT TV. Ever. Oh, wow. Okay. I totally believe you. But see, like Walt's father was, uh, he was an electrician. He loved messing around with stuff like that. Keith, Keith. Burrell, who's like the greatest guy in the world. Um, but he, uh, you know, taught Walt all that kind of stuff. So that's how Walt knew about it. But yeah, I had no clue. I had no clue. I knew it must have meant something. But yeah, so I thought that was kind of fun on um, Mr. Cronenberg's part to name it that. Yeah, that made me laugh. And it's like soon everyone will <laughs> bow to the cathode ray. <laughs> yeah, but like- it's, so it's all these like people that you would think would be going in there to receive a meal. Mm-hmm. They're actually being sent to these like like makeshift cubbies to watch TV. Yeah. They're all in their little booths and everyone gets a television. Yeah. So Max is there and he wants to speak with the professor, but he's kind of got to go through this woman who we really don't know who quite she is at first. So she brings him up to this kind of, it's like a library that overlooks the lower portion where all the, like the different uh, people are downstairs in their little cubbies. So yeah, the, the we find you, out that it's a, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rob. Oh, I wanted to say <clears throat> the more you kind of get a look around, it's less like a library and more like a, a weird kind of church looking thing. It is. Yeah, it's very well, because I think it was a church. I think the building itself is a church. And I think it's a library, but I I don't think it's books. It's it's housing. I think it's video cassettes. It's housing. Yeah, and it's got those weird like the candle holders and mm -hmm. like a pulpit or something up there. Right. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Very strange. Correct. Yes. Um, but we find out that it's actually um, Bianca Oblivion, um, the daughter of Professor Oblivion. Um, and he wants like an audience with the professor. And she's like, it's, that's not going to happen. She's like, he'll want to have a monologue with you. Uh, and if you tell me what kind of format you prefer, we can send you, you know, a tape to talk to uh, not even converse with him, but like he'll talk with you. Um, but there's not going to be an open line of communication between the two of you. Um, and, you know, Max is like, I want video drums. So make sure you mention that to your father. So. We have Max at his apartment and he's watching Videodrome and he's got like those voiceovers of like Nikki kind of in his head and Masha in his head and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he's got a gun. He's got oh, those... this is the part. Oh, this is one of the favorite weird body horror parts. <laughs> yeah. So he's got the gun. He's messing with the bullets in the kitchen. And we hear that knock at the door and it's actually his secretary, Birdie, who I don't know about, or Bridie, not Birdie, Bridie. I actually love this character. Like I do I, too. I, I think she was very sweet. I really like her. Um, but so she's been doing some digging for him. And this is where she reveals that Nikki is on vacation, but not on assignment. Mm -hmm. So she's just chosen to go. She's not doing this part of her job. She goes to take out the videotape out of his uh, player and he he freaks out and slaps her. But more than once. More than once. And there's this cut scene where it's her and then it flashes to Nikki and then it flashes back to her. And that, then that part he, just uh, makes you think it's like, okay, did, is what I saw actually what I just saw or, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, and then he's apologetic. And then she's like, you didn't hit me. And then I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then, then she reveals that she also came over because she has this tape from Brian Oblivion and she promised that she would deliver it right away. Mm -hmm. So now the tape is, it's like breathing and it's got basically like Nikki's like, it's Nikki's, her voice, the, the breath is her voice basically. Yeah. So the whole thing is just, it it's so very weird. I I love Cronenberg just like I love David Lynch because they're so trippy in their films. I just love their worlds that they set up. I, I love being part of their worlds. Um, but anyway, so the tape has the professor on there and he starts talking about the battle uh, for the mind of a North America. And again, TV is reality and reality is less than TV. Um, and then the professor like actually addresses Max by name. And he's saying that his reality is now about half percent hallucination. Yeah, because and he's been infected by the uh, by watching the videodrome. Exactly. And then this torture arrives behind like the 
professor and he starts to chain up the professor. And then we find out that a tumor has been removed and that's what Videodrome is, is this tumor in that the professor was its first victim. Well, the torturer, torturer is revealed to be Nikki. And then she starts talking to Max and she's like, come to Nikki. Don't make me, don't make me wait. And then the TV starts breathing and then Max just freaks out. Yeah. The and, pulsating TV and then her lips, yeah. are, her lips are um, on the screen and it just. Uh, yeah. And like he starts, <laughs> it's like orgasmic and he starts stroking it and then yeah. Nikki's lips are the TV and he like pushes his face into it. It's. I just very interesting at that point. I thought he was going to get sucked into the television like Carol Ann. Um, I was expecting that totally just like the television to kind of just consume him. Yeah, it was very interesting. Now, um, apparently when Rick Baker was hired, David Cronenberg thought that he was going to be doing all of these things. But Rick Baker was like, no, I can do like the physical, practical things. So like the, the you know, anything with like the gun or like the any body things mm-hmm. like that he could do. But the kind of where there was like video manipulation or, or like the TV screen being involved, that was all Michael Lennett. <clears throat> and he was saying that originally they weren't quite sure how they were going to do that. And they were at first talking about using blue jello because the blue would act like a blue screen and they could project the video on it. Okay. Um, yeah, but they decided to go this route with it. And um, they actually, his his production team actually has like 72 shots in the whole film of different things that they did just themselves, separate of Mr. Baker. Um, and there was actually, it was cut from the film but the whole reason that Mr. Lennox got hired is there was a scene where Max was in a bathtub and a TV set comes up out of the water. Like, so I guess he would have been sitting in the tub and kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street, but like between his legs, a TV set would have arisen. Yeah. Like, and like looked down at him. But the TV would have been a working TV and they had to do it so it would have not have electrocuted him. I had read and, about that. Yeah. And so, that's what uh, Michael Lennick was originally hired for. And that one never came to fruition, but that's how he got involved with the film. Um, and then another thing both uh, Rick Baker and Michael talked about is that the, for a movie like this, nothing was storyboarded um, because David Cronenberg wanted to be able to come in and just kind of see what they could do and then work on the fly with effects and stuff like that. And they said like it was kind of trying, but it was also freeing in a way. Um, but it was very uncommon for a film this um, uh, this effects laden to actually work without storyboards to kind of just be so open and fluid with that, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Um, so there, I'm done. <laughs> and I want to go back to that um, the the tub rising up. <clears throat> I mean, not the tub, the TV rising up out of the uh-huh. tub. Because that was very cool. Like when I looked into it, it said they would have to fill the tub with a clear fluid that was non-conductive, but that would cost $25 a quart. Um, Wow. What they decided on was to take a real TV and cover its insides with layers of waterproofing and insulation. They dunked the TV into a swimming pool and found out that TVs float 
but the scene was axed just before it was to be filmed anyway, so it never made it. Mm-hmm. That's all very interesting. I love stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So, or oh, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. Are you done? I, oh yeah, I was done. No, no, I'm I was sorry. Done. Okay. I'm like, oh no, I don't want to be a jerk. <laughs> um, I am a jerk. I don't want to appear to be one. You don't. You don't um, want to let everybody know that that you are. exactly. <laughs> um. So. Uh, Max has returned back to speak with the um, with Bianca, the professor's daughter, and he has his cassette. And so he's back in the library and he mentions that the cassette has changed his life. It's got a bite to it. <laughs> um, and that the he's starting to hallucinate and he's woke up with a headache. Uh, and then she asks, like, has it been this way since you just watched the tape? And he's like, no, it's kind of been this way since I first saw Videodrome. Um, and then we find out that Videodrome is a signal that can even be delivered like underneath the test pattern. And it causes brain tumors. And that's when Max freaks out because he's like, you let me watch this tape. And she's like, you've already been infected before you watch this cassette that we sent you. Yeah, like that from upon seeing the first broadcast. Exactly. And then this is where he's given the knowledge that Professor Oblivion has actually been dead uh, for 11 months, passed mm -hmm. away 11 months ago. Um, and his daughter, Bianca, has been keeping him alive through the tapes, um, through Videodrome. Um, and his partners were the ones who actually killed him. And then she gives him a stack, a, a stack of tapes um, that will help him with his problem, like little air quotes, problem. <laughs> So Max arrives back at his office and he's looking for Harlan and Harlan's uh, back in the VTR room. And he wants to know if Harlan's been hallucinating um, because if, you know, Max has been hallucinating and Harlan watched these with him, Harlan should also be experiencing these hallucinations. Yeah. So. <clears throat> uh we are now back at the apartment and this is where he's watching the professors, those tapes that he was given. He's watching them on TV and he's shirtless, but he's got his like gun holster on. Oh yeah. I wondered out. what that was. I was like, is that a gun? Is that like a gun holster or like, yeah. is he just wearing some weird kind of vest? Yeah. I couldn't yeah. figure that yeah. out at first. Cause on the, so he was facing the screen. So on his left, Hand. Yeah, because you grab it with your right hand. You could see the, the it was unlocked, the little where you would tuck the gun and was unsnapped. Yeah. And he was scratching he, that because he said he had a rash and he was like scratching that part of his stomach. But that that looked like one hell of a rash. Yeah. And it went like uh, vertically, like up his the center of his stomach, yeah. like starting his navel, basically, or just a little bit above the navel. Um, so eventually the rash becomes like a slit wound. <laughs> It looks weird, man. <laughs> yeah, it was very trippy. Like, again, super body horror, which Conan Rogers is totally known for. Yeah. Um, but then he starts kind of itching it with his gun or scratching the itch with his gun. Um, and then just kind of sticks the gun yeah, inside the wound. He says, let me see if I can fit this gun inside here in my yeah, little primordial um, pocket. You know? Yeah. Um, and then so it's inside there and then he gets a phone call. Um, and it's from a gentleman downstairs uh, saying that Barry, um, a gentleman named Barry Convex would like to speak with him. Now, isn't, uh, did you find that strange? Like the person's name is Convex. And so like, 
convex lenses, concave lenses, you know, that that whole thing. Okay, so no, I did not. But yes, I should have. I'm not, oh, I'm not okay. privy to all this stuff, but you're absolutely correct because there was even mentioned like some of the names were like, you know, plays on things like that. So you're absolutely right. I'm just a dope. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so Max does head down there um, and they're driving around in the car, except the conversation he, that he's having is via video screen with Mr. Convex. Right. And he's the chief of special programming for Spectacular Optical. And it's, they make video drum is what he's saying. Yeah. The um, or, or do they make it or did are they the ones who just um, let the signal out? Like. I wasn't sure if they were like the creators of it. I don't know. In my notes, I have they make video drums, so I don't oh, okay. know if my notes are wrong, but that's what I have written down. I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I was trying to figure that out through the film. Like, okay. Were they just like, you know, parts of it, like, you know, Videodrome happened because of uh, Dr. Oblivion or Professor Oblivion. And then these guys were working with him at the same time. I don't know, but mm -hmm. um, it, it doesn't really matter. And then um, this is also where Max mentions that Harlan was a good pirate. And uh, he that's how he figured it out. He was good at it. Uh, kind of breaking the code. So he arrives at Spectacular Optical and he goes in there and it really is like an op an optical um, outlet where you would purchase glasses more or less. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's kind of playing around with all these different little, you know, glasses. He puts this really odd pair on and uh, convex enters and he says that you're playing with dynamite <laughs> and it's a prototype uh, that he's got on his head. And um, he starts talking about Max's hallucinations. Um, and they're curious about Max because no test subject has really been able to return to normalcy after things have kicked in. And they want to try to find out why Max has kind of had a grip for as long as he has. Yeah, why he hasn't gone completely just bonkers. Right. And so they put this odd mechanism on his head. Um, to kind of get a re to simulate a reaction to see what's going on inside Max's brain. Um, and they deem it necessary for SM to cause this reaction. <laughs> now, the actual contraption, uh, Mr. Woods was afraid to put it on. He was afraid he's going to be electrocuted. So, in the scene with the person wearing it, that's actually David Cronenberg. Oh, I thought uh, I was reading it said that they both had to get a stand in because. All right, let me see. David Cronenberg had to double James Woods for the scene in which Max Wren puts a helmet because they were both afraid that he might be electrocuted by it. So yes. was that, did he, did David Cronenberg double as James Woods or did he bring a double in for James Woods? No, what you just read said that, that he was his double. Oh, okay. I misunderstood yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. No. Yep. So he was his double. Um, and then, so he puts it on. And they're rolling the tape, but Con uh, Convex says that he's going to leave because he doesn't want to be, you know, while this is all happening. Um, so Nikki shows up in like the actual view of, you know, what's happening in the, his like hallucination or whatever. And uh, she shows up and she has a whip and that uh, they're inside Videodrome now. And she says he needs to open up some uh, neural floodgates. And they're in the weird room and then Max starts whipping the TV with Nikki's image on it. Right. And she's kind of moaning and the TV pulsates, except when we're privy to the image, it's not Nikki. It's actually Masha. Yeah. That's 
kind of chained up, uh, tied up. And um, Max freaks out uh, because what's actually happened is he wakes up in his own bed and there's a body next to him and the body is Masha's corpse. Right. And she's gagged and tied up. Exactly. Just like we saw on the TV screen. Yeah. So he does not call the police. He actually calls Harlan over to bring his camera to photo the body, photograph the body for proof, I guess. Um, So Harlan goes in and then he comes back out and he's thinking that Max is maybe on some kind of drug trip or something because there's nothing in the bed. Um, And he's kind of aggravated that he's called him over there at such an early hour anyway, because, you know, he's not on, on the clock. He's just kind of working for free. Um, and he's kind of wants an explanation for all this weird behavior that Max has been subjecting him to. So they head back to the lab and Max guarantees he's going to give Harlan some explanations. Well, back at the, uh, the lab, um, Harlan reveals that there's no transmission at all, that there wasn't one last night and then there never, ever has been one. So there's a knock at the door and then Harlan says that he's brought in reinforcements and that's when Convex enters the room. Yeah. And then I was like, you dirty rat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, did you see this coming? No, I didn't see that coming. Nope. I didn't either at all. Uh -uh, Not at all. Um, So what's been happening is Harlan has been playing pre-recorded tapes um, that have never been publicly broadcast ever. And he's been doing it for uh, two years. And um, Harlan never watched it. That's why he's not experiencing any hallucinations himself, because he knew what they would do. Um, I was pissed. I was like, God damn it. They were using him as a test subject. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And then... Convex starts in with like, why would anybody watch a scum show like Videodrome? And then Max flips it and accuses Convex of murdering the professor. And then Convex points out that people need to be uh, pure. Um, They need to be strong to survive. And that this people now is just a cesspool of television stations And they're causing the viewers to rot from inside. Mm -hmm. And they're going to use Max's channel, channel 83, as a start. Um, They've recorded Max's hallucinations and that um, Convex now presents this new video cassette that's breathing, (laughs) which they love that. There's lots of breathing video cassettes in this, which is really kind of cool. And then Max opens his shirt and then Convex just inserts this tape into Max's like chest. Yeah. Well, he drops to the floor and the other two just kind of leave. And uh, this next scene is one of the effects heavy, excuse me, one of the effects heavy ones that I liked where the he's holding the gun and the gun actually fuses to his hand with like. um, It looks kind of like uh, stuff you would see in like cyborg kind of things, you know, those wires digging into his hand and everything like becoming one with the gun. Yes. Yeah. Um, so basically when he inserted the gun, the, the earlier it stayed in his stomach. Yeah. So there's that voiceover where it's saying, kill your partners and give us channel 83. It's basically uh, convex's voice. And he's hearing this in his head. So he reaches in and he grabs out the gooey gun 
and it kind of forms to his hand. Um, I think what you're talking about is coming later with all the like wires and stuff coming out. Oh, hmm. I yeah. thought it was like he was in the hall holding that goopy gun. And then all of a sudden, like these little wires just poke through, like they start from the ends of his fingers and then they're poking through going down the wrist and everything. Um, I, thought, I believe that. Hmm, let's see. Let me see. I can't remember. I thought that was before the part, but it might have been after. Because on it, right in my notes, it's like, okay, pulls out the gun covered in goop and then fusing to his hand. Oh, okay. Well, let's see. Uh, Max retrieves gooey gun from his, I, I put down <laughs> stomach gash. Uh, <laughs> it, forms, it forms to his hand, body horror galore. Maybe that is it. Okay. So anyway, yeah. So maybe, it, okay. Anyway, yeah. So he heads off um, to his office. Um, and then he's very distant when he arrives because like people are like greeting him and everything. And he's just like got a mission oh, yeah. and he heads right to um, Bridie and he asks for Moses. And she says that he's in a meeting. So he goes to that same boardroom where we saw earlier in the film and those other two gentlemen are in there and he just shoots the first one like point blank a couple times. And then he shoots the other one. Yeah. So everybody's freaking out. And that's when Bridie runs up and kind of like escorts him into this like little empty room. And he's able to flee out like the back door. I wonder, and is she in on it? Did, did she know like what was going on or does she know? I think that's him? her boss and it's okay. her boss and she has no clue that he's, I don't think she's realized what's actually transpired. I don't think. Okay. I don't think. Um, so now he's on his way back to the uh, cathode ray mission. Um, and now he hears that voice, kill Bianca oblivion. So he rather loudly breaks into the mission um, and he spies the desk with the food and everything. So he knows that she's there. Um, and that's when he tells her that he runs uh, civic TV and um, that he was on a talk show with her father, which it's like, it's almost like he's having this like mind uh, lag. Like he's, not quite on par with where he should be mentally. Right. Um, and then so Bianca's like, so it was you after all you're, you've come to kill me. And, uh, he denies it at first, but then draws his little fleshy gun. Um, <laughs> and he, she reveals like a TV and on the TV screen is an image of Nikki. And then she points out that Nikki was killed on video drone and they used her image to seduce him. Um, and then we get the, um, that iconic Iconic image, which is another image that I was very like blasted everywhere from this. And it's like the, it, it looks like a, it's much like the, to me, it reminded me of Nightmare on Elm Street where Freddie comes down out of the ceiling at Heather Langenkamp. But this time it's a hand holding a gun coming out of the TV screen. Oh, yeah. Pointed at Max. Um, but to me, it looked like a penis really quick, I thought. <laughs> Did it to you? I thought it was a shotgun. Okay. Okay, because we were around a couple of times and I'm, Walt and I are both like, that looks like a penis really quick. But anyway, so it shoots him, Max, and he drops. And then on the screen, you see like basically a man's chest and it's bleeding. Mm -hmm. And so, so I wonder, did, uh, was that a hallucination because he wasn't shot by anything? And she was like, now you're, now you've uh, broken, taken the first step and breaking free from them or, breaking free from Videodrome. And, and then she inserts, like she pulls out the tape that was inside of his stomach. 
Um, right. And she's telling us like painful to remove the cassette and everything. Yeah. Um, and, and now Max's video uh, is a video word made flesh and everything. Uh, he's got a turn against video drone. Uh, and Beth, that's the video drone. Long live the new flesh. Long fresh, live the flesh. new flesh. <laughs> yes. And then outside we see that like, again, it's like a homeless man, but he's got this little TV Jerry rigged. And the newscaster is saying that 26 hours ago, Max Wren um, uh, did the shooting and, you know, uh, killed two people at the uh, news channel and everything. So Max takes off across the street uh, back to Spectacular Optical. But this time it's not empty. The, the waiting room's kind of full. Yeah, and a lot of he's trying there. to slip in the back room. At first, he's prevented by one of the workers there, but he eventually makes his way back there. And there's Harlan, and he's like, got this box what's in the box <laughs> yeah and then harlan's like your head <laughs> and but i did never wonder the box, if his which, head was in there actually yeah. i was i was wondering if they were going to open it up and reveal his head and he was going to freak out but no they never opened it but then harlan uh asked if he's uh if he's seen bianca oblivion then he sticks oh, his man. hand into max's slit in his stomach <laughs> Cause he's got another gnarled like bloody tape. Yeah. This one but, looks, doesn't look like a cassette tape at all. This one looks more like a flesh kind of thing. Yeah. But then he pulls out this, like at first I wasn't hundred percent sure, hundred percent sure what it was, but it ends up being a bloody like bomb. See, I thought it was like his chest or his stomach did like the, you know, the thing where it crunched down on the hand and like, like, this guy pulled back a bloody stump and he's just like running away. But then when I saw it explode, I was like, oh, that must have been like a grenade or a stick of dynamite yeah. or something. Yeah. So he blows up. Before that, he gets a little, uh, you know, witty one liner and see you in Pittsburgh. And then uh, he <laughs> blows up. Um, so now Max has made it to a trade show where um, Horvex is there with. Um, uh spectacular optical and you have those performers on the stage it's so very weird they're mm -hmm. like <laughs> they're chiseling they're, some stone and, and yeah and then they like kind of disrobe kind of and they're doing this like pretty gay like <laughs> vegas number it's really odd um it's to reveal the it's to reveal the medici line um uh the new optical line but Max is like made it to the audience. So he's sitting there with his back to convex. So convex doesn't actually know that he's in the audience just yet. Yeah. Um, so he uh, jumps up and like fires a bunch of rounds into him and he drops. And then I'm assuming there are tumors that erupt from his body. Yeah. I was trying to figure out what that was. Uh, spectacular horror though. Like, Oh uh, yeah. Super grand gory. finale Super... gore at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. Yeah. And then so Max takes off and ends up in like it looks like almost like an abandoned like uh, a sh a ship station because um, there's an abandoned like tugboat there where he like makes his way onto the uh, inside and sits on this like really filthy mattress, which I'm assuming you'll get bed bugs from immediately. Yeah, he was looking for cigarettes, but there were none to be found, none to be found. And that, but there's a giant TV set, which looked very similar to one I had as a child. Um, and then there's an image of Nikki that pops up. Mm, yes, the infamous Nikki. Infamous Nikki. Um, so she's on the TV screen and then um, she's revealing that uh, he's got to move on to the next phase. 
uh, in order to do the total transformation mm. in the beginning of the new flesh. In, in order to do so, he's got to kill the old flesh. Yep, he's got to take it all the way. Yeah, and so she, you know, once again, she's kind of like cooing for him to, you know, come to Nikki and everything. And then we see this kind of like surreal image of him basically taking his own life, but it's in the same room where he is. So it's like a deja vu kind of like image thing. Yeah. He's got like his little gun hand. He puts it up to his head and pulls the trigger. Right. He says, long live the new flesh. And then uh, the TV explodes. It what looks to be like fragments of skull and brain. And like entrails and guts. And- yeah. <laughs> too, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then so he actually ends up doing what he just saw on the TV. Yeah. And the crazy the thing was that um, there were three different endings film and the ending used in the film was actually James Wood's idea. Interesting. Keep going. Oh, no, that that was it. I don't know what the other the other endings. Oh, were. you don't know what the other three were? No, Ooh, I, I would love to know what the other endings were. Interesting. Oh, weird. Okay, I would too. I would totally love to know that. Um, one other thing I want to add. So I watched. I own this on the Criterion on a Criterion disc, and one of the bonus like features was a very old, um, like talk show thing done like it was a promotional thing, but it was hosted by Mick Garris, um, super young Mick Garris, and the panel was John Landis, John Carpenter, and David Cronenberg, and they were talking. One of the topics was like censorship, and David Cronenberg was saying that in Canada at the time when he made this, um, if your film was deemed to be X-rated, they would confiscate every, um, every, every, uh, like, uh, like, uh, like, let's say you made six copies of that film, you know, before it was like distributed to the theaters, everyone would be confiscated. Every offensive section of that film would be cut from each version and it would you would never receive it back and you would spend two years in prison for having made it. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's really extreme because, you know, John Landis and John Carpenter were like kind of like griping about like um, what was it? Uh, John Landis had made Kentucky Fried Movie. And there was a scene where a woman was on top of as a sexual scene and a woman was on top of the man having sex. And that got an R rating. But in, in American Werewolf in London, in one of the porn scenes when they're in the porn theater, same thing. A woman was on top of the man having sex. And they said, if you leave that in, it's going to be X rated. He had to cut that. And he was saying it was just a matter of the mores of the time you know, that one would have been an R, one would have been an X. And then that's Mm -hmm. when uh, David Cronenberg shared this story. And I was like, wow, that's very interesting considering the types of films that Mr. Cronenberg makes, how like, um, how like violence and sex are so intertwined with a lot of his stories. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. But anyway, so, um, did you have anything else you wanted to add about, uh, Videodrome? Um, there was one part. Um, I think it was when Max returns back to the office to like, cause he's been activated and he, or no, sorry, sorry. This was before that. 
before he gets like activated and he sees uh, Bridie in the office. Um, did you see that part where as he was walking by, he goosed like the the assistant or whatever? The one who was no. getting coffee. Like he totally grabbed her butt. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell? Like what purpose well, did that was, serve? It, it was the 80s. Yeah. Um, but like he's he's talking to Bridie and then he leaves to go into um I'm assuming he talks to after that he goes and speaks with Masha for the first time. But like uh-huh. as he's walking through, there's an assistant getting coffee or something. And he just grabs her butt. She looks at him and smiles. <laughs> he just, you know, continues on his way. And I was like, why did they leave that scene in there? Like, what purpose does it serve? Well, it does give you an insight to his character. <laughs> he's a sleazeball. Um, he's what? He's a sleazeball. Right. Oh, yeah. He's a sleazeball. I mean, it does give you an insight to his character that I mean, in this day and age. People, I don't think, really realize how prevalent that was decades ago. I mean, you just put up with that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I. I I could totally see where they would leave that in there or why they even bothered to put that in there to begin with. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That was just one Uh, of the things that stuck out to me. I was like, what? What the hell? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, did you did you enjoy the film? I did. I'm really into these kind of movies where it does mess with you, although like it pisses me off at first because I can't figure it out. But then after a while, my brain kind of acclimates to it. And I'm like, OK, so this mean this might mean this. And, you know, I kind of uh, process it. Mm-hmm. But it does take yeah. me a while to process things. Mm-hmm. Um, now, would you recommend it, Rob? I would not. Uh, I would say that, like, if you're expecting creatures, it's not creature heavy at all. And it's more of an implication of like uh, monsters or creatures than it is actual kind of things. And I was worried going into this movie. You know, when I first started watching it, I was like, oh, wow, this doesn't seem like it's going to be, you know, something that we would normally cover. But then I kind of understood what was happening and I was like, okay, okay, now I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I um, thoroughly enjoyed the movie. I think this would be the kind of movie that you would almost grow to appreciate the more watches. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. It's fun watching it unravel like, a, like the uh, skin of an onion, you know, you, the layers, the layers, the layers. But once you get all the information going back uh, and being, you know, having that uh, knowledge of of how things end going back to the beginning and watching it being like, oh, okay, so Max is already under the influence of the hallucination process pretty much from the get go of this movie. Yeah. You know, and then looking at it that way, I think you would pick up on so much more. Um, I actually don't, uh, I have no issue with movies like this at all. I love things like this. Uh, I just kind of get in that, that groove with stuff like that. I don't like not knowing what's going on or something like that. Does I, everyone is different. I don't think there's a good or bad, but me personally, as a viewer, I've never bought that. I, I, uh, that's never bothered me. I enjoy stuff like that. It's, it's part of the fun of a movie to me. Um, so if you're if you're into those kind of movies, I think this would be a fun watch for you. 
Um, it definitely falls in the uh, Cronenberg uh, earlier part of his uh, career where he was into the whole body horror and your body against you kind of thing. Um, later, he got into a different kind of uh, cinema, um, which honestly, I'm not as into as later films uh, like History of Violence and that kind of thing. I've seen them. I, uh, I, it's just not my, my bag. They're well done and everything. It's just not my taste. Um, and then I would definitely recommend this. I, I, uh, if you're into gore, if you're into, uh, you know, uh, body horror, practical effects. Um, and I, now me personally, I, I feel this does fall into a creature feature because, um, of the effects. And I think, I think in this one, your monster is, is man, um, uh it's it's the degradation of uh how man is so easily um manipulated by um uh like uh imagery uh technology um how he's becoming like you said so desensitized to things like that i think man is becoming the monster and 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 that's what the actual creature is in this movie or monster if you want to say is man um so i i myself would consider this very much a a, a monster movie um uh the effects are like on par like top notch even to this day i think they are very uh um oh what's what i want um i'm I'm so bad with words um like stunning um they're they're so good for what they are um they rick still baker look realistic just, oh yeah rick baker is just king of his craft as far as i'm concerned um and it's just this is just for me but uh they had pictures of him on the set back then and he was quite a cutie with his like you know because now I, i'm i'm familiar with him with his long hair and it's white and everything but he had like dark hair and his beard and everything and he was quite a cutie um but so i i like highly recommend this movie like across the board i have no reservations whatsoever um I think people would really like still find a lot about this. And of course it's got Debbie Harry. Oh my gosh. Like I love Debbie Harry. She's awesome. Um, Is she not? I do love Debbie Harry. I don't want to see her naked ever, but I do love Debbie Harry. Um, I know I'm in the uh, (laughs) minority on that. Um, Yeah. But uh, yeah, but she's, I I do love Debbie Harry. She's just so cool. Um, now, as far as our next show, we are going to be wrapping up our Fulci trilogy by covering the beyond. Yeah. And it's, uh, I feel a little bittersweet about that because it's like, I know there's other Fulci films, but you know, oh. and ending the trilogy is kind of, it's fun, but it's also a little bit of sadness there. Yeah. Well, don't worry because in our not too distant future, I'm going to ask us to do zombies. So I think you'll get a kick out of that one zombie oh yeah i remember you mentioned that yeah i think you'll love zombie um but so we'll be doing the beyond next um again thank you to cannibal crunch for uh requesting this one uh we do love to hear from you guys so anything you want us to cover um please let us know um i'm always love to hear from you guys um if you do want to get in touch with us on instagram i am lurking over there under midnight match mass creature cast i talk too fast (laughs) And then, uh, Rob, you've got the other end of things as far ah, as that yes, goes. The email, that's mmccpod at gmail.com. Um, just bear in mind, if you do have 
a recommendation or a request, we might not get to it quickly, but we will get to it down the road because we do have other bookings that we, you know, we, when we plan these things out, we like to get to what we plan out first and then we book like requests in between those. Yeah. So we're not being mean. We just, we will get to what you asked for. We promise. We promise. We promise. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, so, uh, we always appreciate you guys joining us every time. Uh, if this is your first time with us, thank you so much for joining us, uh, because the more the scarier. Yeah. And until next time, we hope you stay spooky. Spooky.